Hi, this is Alana Terry, and you are listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm really glad you joined us for Season 4. We are streaming daily chapters from full-length Christian fiction audiobooks just for you. And the sponsor for this season of the Unabridged Podcast is Blessing on the Run, which is also the audiobook you're going to listen to. So if you would like to listen to the entire audiobook at once, you can go to alanaterry.com slash blessing to get your free audiobook copy, or you can tune in right now for today's chapter of Blessing on the Run. Chapter 5 Mom and Dad freaked out when they found me and Jared together. I was probably 13 at the time, and they completely lost it. The way they went at it, you would have thought I was in bed with a terrorist or something, which honestly isn't that far from the truth, I suppose. Called the cops and everything, but by that point, I'd been in love with him for over three years, and I wasn't going to betray him. I gave the policewoman a fake name, fake job, fake address, the works. Anything to protect my truest love. I made Jared my first hundred bucks the summer before I started high school. He was stressed, said that unless he could find a better job, he'd have to move back down to Baltimore to live with his buddy, and too bad I was too young to offer any real help. The way he maneuvered the conversation, I came away thinking I dreamed up the idea all on my own. Of course, I was probably the tenth or twentieth or thirtieth girl Jared had conned the same way. He knew exactly what he was doing. I could try to get some work, I told him, and he sighed. The only thing I can think someone like you could do is... And then he explained... I didn't want to. Who jumps into that kind of lifestyle wanting to? But Jared promised me it would only be this one time, and that if I didn't do it, he'd have to head to Baltimore and I'd probably never see him again. What choice did I have? Obviously, there are people who will look down their noses at me and tell me I had every choice in the world. There's even Bible verses to back them up. Don't ask me the reference. I believe in the Bible and all, I just don't have the chapters memorized. But there's one passage that goes something like, God won't let you be tempted unless he gives you a way out so you don't have to go through with it. I didn't have to go through with it when you look at it that way. But even the law recognizes that there's an age at which a girl really can't be expected to make those kind of choices herself, can't be held accountable. That's why it's called statutory rape and not statutory sleaziness or something like that. Maybe you'll think I'm messed up for saying this, but it honestly wasn't that bad. I mean, look at my history, remember? It was hardly different from what my foster brother or my grandpa or my mom's old boyfriend had put me through by then. Only this time, it was on my terms, and I was actually making some money doing it money that would keep my true love by my side. Not the most pleasant of things to be thinking about on Christmas Eve, is it? Mom's at my elbow again, wondering why I'm not eating more. I swear, unless I binge and take in 2,000 calories per meal, 
That woman's convinced I'm anorexic. I allow her to douse my plate with more mashed potatoes and ham, but hold off on the gravy. I can't handle grease. I'm past my first trimester, but still suffer indigestion that keeps me up for hours. Not like I don't have other reasons to stay awake worrying, like the fact that my ex-boyfriend wants me to help him embezzle funds from the bank where I work. I knew there had to be an angle from the first time Jared showed up and surprised me while I was trying to close, but the real reason didn't come out until he called me about a week later. It started with the usual types of complaints. Money's real tight. Nobody wants to hire me when they see my record. Hmm, maybe he should have thought of that before he started pimping me and dozens of other underage girls out on the streets, right? And he expects me to feel sorry for him? Problem was, I did. At least a little. I hate myself for it, but every time I hear his voice... I'm that little girl again who feels such an exhilarating thrill to have the college-aged man offer her a ride home in his T-bird, and the fact that his hands roam and pinch and bruise the entire trip just means that he thinks I'm pretty, that there's something sexy about me. As if a junior hire should spend her prepubescence worrying about whether she is or isn't sexy. At first, I thought he wanted me to go work for him again, and thankfully I had the mental clarity to tell him exactly what I thought about that plan. I am never going back to the streets. Period. Come on, I told him. You know I'm too old for that now. And then I thought maybe he was going to suggest I do some sort of madam work for him. But I've been his madam before, and as much as my sick and twisted little psyche thought it loved him at one point, I'm not going back to that again either. Not when I have a son and a boyfriend and a respectable job at a bank going for me. He laughed, told me he was out of that profession, as if I'd ever believe him, and said that what he really wanted was for me to use my bank access to help him and his buddy. Supposedly, they had it all planned out. I guess all those years in prison gave him the time and opportunity to expand his network, he didn't fill me in on all the details, just explained what they'd need from me, including the schedule of the bank security workers, which would be easy for me to get a hold of, and one night where I accidentally forgot to set the codes when I closed, which could land me in jail. Problem is, Jared's not the kind of guy you just tell, sorry, not gonna do it, why don't you get lost? so I made excuses about how I was already on probation at my job, which I wasn't, and he saw through that lie right away, and how I was trying to straighten up my life, which has been the gospel truth for at least the past five years. Don't ask me why I thought someone like Jared would care about me straightening out. He didn't, and it only took one more surprise visit, this time right after I dropped Tyson off at my mom's, for his polite suggestions to turn into threats. You don't get me that security schedule. I'll burn your parents' house down. The problem was, I knew he was capable of that, and I also knew he was smart enough to set it up so he'd never get caught. There's no way Jared would be careless enough to let them connect it back to him. 
and since he was the reason I had to register as a sex offender for three years of my adult life, as if I had any choice in the ages of the girls my live-in boyfriend was pimping out, my witness would be stained if I tried to testify against him. Any jury would come away thinking I was just some jilted girlfriend out for revenge. And then came the real kicker. Remember how I said Jared's the only one who knows about that first pregnancy? The one way back when I was 12 years old and just moved in with Carl and Sandy? My hormones were still a kid's at that stage in my life, and by the time Jared figured out what was going on, he realized it before I did, there was no doctor in the entire East Coast who'd perform an abortion. At least that's what he told me, but I'm sure it also had to do with the fact that a grown man Jared's age couldn't walk a little girl like me into an abortion clinic without raising all kinds of red flags. So he came up with a plan of his own to take care of our problem, and when I refused to be part of his bank scheme last week, he threatened to tell the authorities what I'd done. I figured he was bluffing. He couldn't really do that without incriminating himself, too, and I told him so, but he came back with a whole bunch of legal jargon about statutes of limitations, things I'd never understand without a law degree, but he made it out like he'd find a way so I'd be the only one to get in trouble. I'm not about to let him expose me to the world, so I bought myself some time, told him the security schedule was constantly changing because of the holidays, but after Christmas I could get it for him. Which is why, in addition to the pregnancy hormones, I can't eat a single morsel Mom prepared for tonight's big feast without it sitting and festering in my gut like moldy cheese or rotten produce. The thing is, Jared still thinks I'm going to work with him. He still expects me to help him rob that bank. And if I don't, he's going to let everyone know what I did to that little baby so many years ago. Chapter 6 Dad's standing up now, offering the Christmas Eve toast. Does it every year, and every year we tip back our goblets, shout cheers, and down our sparkling apple cider in unison. It's been this way since my very first Christmas at Mom and Dad's. Some things never change. Like the fact that Jared assumes I'll bend over and do whatever he tells me to do even risk unemployment or prison time by helping him rob a bank. How much have I already agreed to? It's stupid of me. I don't mean to go through with any of it. I actually like my job. Sure, some of my co-workers are royal pains, but the bank's been good for me. It's kept me clean and dry for longer than any other place I've been. True story. I told him I'd help because I needed extra time. Time to figure out how seriously to take his threats. I don't need his drama over the holidays. Tomorrow's Christmas, we're all going to enjoy ourselves for the day, and after that, I'll decide what to do. I still don't know if it's something I should talk to my bank supervisor about, or the head of security, or if it would be better to go straight to the police. Dad would know how to handle it, but he hates Jared, and I don't want to ruin his Christmas. He doesn't even know he's out of prison. 
not to mention everything about the baby. No matter what happens, I've got to keep that part from my parents. They've spent enough decades worrying over me, grieving over my poor choices. Dad's busy thanking God for his blessings, and I wonder if Jared would really find a way to hurt my parents if I don't help him at the bank. Does he know I'm planning to back out? Or is that even the plan anymore? Sometimes I wonder if I'm really going to talk to security or get the police involved. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm still the same girl who let Jared sell her to strangers. The same kind of girl who trained workers for him when they're still years too young to get a learner's permit. The kind of girl who would do just about anything to keep her secret hidden. Maybe I'm not going to turn him into the police at all. Maybe I'm just telling myself what I want to hear so I can go to bed with a clean conscience. Not that I sleep at all, anyway. Some of that can be blamed on the baby, though. Not quite five months yet, and she's already kicking. At least the doctors say it's a girl, but I have my doubts. After all I've gone through, after all my failures, God would never trust me with another daughter. I raise my glass along with everyone else, even though I haven't been listening very carefully to Dad's toast. And then, before I know what's happening, my boyfriend is standing up and looking like a complete idiot. I have something to say, too. I try to get him to sit down. He has no idea what he's doing. Come on, he whispers to me. Get up. But I refuse. There is no way I'm joining him while he makes a fool of himself in front of my son, my parents, and several dozen dinner guests. When Damien finally realizes I'm dead serious, he leaves me alone in my chair and clears his throat. Well, with this being Christmas and all, and Christmas being a time for, you know, family and all, oh no, he isn't. I do my best to kill him by sheer willpower, but it doesn't work. He shuffles from one foot to the other like he's got a bad case of jock itch and stammers. And with Christmas being about the birth of baby Jesus and his mama being pregnant for the holidays and everything, oh, yes, he is. I try one more time to pull him down to his chair. He has no idea what kind of chaos he's about to unleash. Apparently, Dad's growing impatient with his whole nervous exchange because he shouts, Spit it out, man. And Damien says, loud enough for everyone in the whole blasted house to hear, we're gonna have a baby. I swear, if I didn't hate the thought of starting the dating game all over, if I didn't love Damien in spite of how mad he's making me right now, I'd kill him. I'd honestly stand up and kill him. It's not like we're the most likely of couples. Even the way we met is far from romantic. It was at a red light. True story. He rear-ended me, nothing too serious, but we both got out of the car to exchange insurance information. I was fuming mad because he was going to make me late for work on my second day after a big promotion. I was in such a rush I couldn't even remember what he'd looked like when he called me up that weekend to see if I wanted to catch a movie. Real steamy stuff, right? But we've been good for each other in some ways. 
I've lost track of how many times we've broken up in the past three years and then gotten back together, but it's enough that I didn't even cry the last time it happened, and sure enough, it was less than a week before we had hooked up again. Damien's good for me, stable. I used to go for the real bad boy type, which I suppose is obvious given what you know about me and Jared. Damien's not like that. Sure, he's got enough tats on his arms and back and shoulders that I suppose he might look intimidating to some, but he's got the temperament of a butterfly. True story. Which is partly why I love him, and partly why he drives me completely insane. In Damien's mind, if two people fall in love and get pregnant and want to have a baby together, that's great news. He doesn't stop to think about things like church gossips or the Ten Commandments or conservative parents who probably don't appreciate this surprise announcement of their illegitimate grandchild. Well, there's Damien for you. He can't take it back, but I'm definitely planning to let him know what I think on our way home, which now might happen quite a bit earlier than he first expected. I'm so busy figuring out everything I'm planning to say to him that I don't even realize he's still standing. What are you doing? I hiss, and he answers, Just trust me. As if! Except now he's not looking at me. He's looking at my dad. Could his timing be any worse? Damien's talking to my dad and stuttering. I, uh, wanted to tell you that I know your daughter's really special to you, and she's really special to me, too, and I know that you being a pastor and all probably doesn't mean you want to have... What I'm trying to say, sir, is I really want to do right by your daughter, by blessing here. I know her name, Dad responds in a complete monotone. Great. And so, to get to the point, sir, I wish you would, Dad huffs. Damien wipes his face on a napkin, and I swear he could wring out all the extra sweat into a cup. So what I really want is, I want to ask Blessing to marry me. Oh, no, he didn't. Mom's face has melted into a puddle of smiles and excitement, and I swear she's about to start blubbering. Meanwhile, I'm trying to control my rage so I don't literally... Kill this man who just humiliated me in front of all my parents' friends and then had the nerve to propose. I know it's maybe not the best time, but I thought, you know, Christmas being all about family and stuff. Yes. What was that? My dad's talking so quietly I can hardly hear. Damien's eyes are as wide as the handprint Christmas ornaments I made that are still hanging on the tree. You're saying it's okay? Dad shrugs. It's fine by me, man, but I'm not the one you need to ask. Damien nearly trips as he drops to his knee in front of me. He's holding out a small jewelry box to the sound of multiple oohs and ahs around the room. Oh, yes, he did. Blessing, Lindgren. Will you marry me? I think back over our three-year relationship like the first date where he couldn't even get the movie time right and we ended up walking around for two hours in the rain since we already missed the show. The first breakup and how devastating it was 
because it made me realize how many things about him I'd come to take for granted. The joy of getting back together, like we were given the chance to fall in love for a second time, and a third, and then a fourth. How with Jared and his threats, with how unsafe I feel, I could use stability in my life, the kind of stability I've always found when I'm with Damien. Yes, I smile in spite of my resolve to stay mad at him. He slips the ring on my finger, saying something corny about me making him the happiest man in the world. While everyone claps and gushes, including my mom only two seats down, he kisses me on the lips. And just like that, I'm engaged. Alana Terry here. I hope you enjoyed today's installment of Blessing on the Run. Please don't forget that you can listen to the entire audiobook of Blessing on the Run when you purchase it from Audible or wherever it is that you like to listen to digital audiobooks, or you can go to alanaterry.com blessing to download your free copy. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.